It's time for another edition of Your Home Discovery, broadcast nationally on AM and FM radio stations, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and more, plus easily found on most social media channels. Podcast available at yourhomediscovery.com. Your Home Discovery, keeping everything around your home sweet home looking great. Now, here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Welcome into this edition of Your Home Discovery. I am Charlie Campbell, discovering all aspects of your home. Sometimes we talk about simple stuff that we deal with every day. Garage door openers to doorknobs and door locks. These are things that we're very familiar with. And, well, yeah, there may be some questions. There may be some things we learn. Other weeks, other days, other times, we talk about things that are a little more technical in nature. And some things, you may just have heard the phrase, but does it really come full circle? Do you really understand what it is and what it does? How important is that to your home? Well, quite honestly, we're an information age. So learning about different products is always interesting. If you have a hot water boiler that heats your home, if you have an irrigation system that waters your yard, if you have any product, let's say a water-powered backup sump pump, there are all kinds of products in our homes that are connected to the domestic water supply. We have to think about the potability factor on domestic water. In other words, we can't contaminate that product. We have to be very careful on how it's handled, how it's transmitted through a piping system. But moreover, what if it were to connect to something that it shouldn't. And if it does, what happens if the flow direction changes and we suck something back into the water system that could then be delivered somewhere else? I've said all that to say a very simple phrase, backflow prevention. So if you have an irrigation system, I'm sure your irrigation company at some point has said to you, hey, we have to come out and test your backflow. If you have a hot water boiler, I'm sure you've heard the same thing from your HVAC technician. It's time to check the backflow on that boiler. It's also possible with both of those products that you've not ever heard that phrase because they just roll that into the service. Maybe they're servicing the irrigation system. Maybe they're servicing the furnace. And checking the backflow is just one of those things. Some municipalities manage backflows. They're serialized. They track them. And they may send you a letter in the mail. What does that really mean? Well, we're going to dive into a lot of the detail today, which is, you know, we love detail here on Your Home Discovery. We're going to dig into that detail. Remember, the email box is always open. Charlie at yourhomediscovery.com. Would love to have you join us on our social media sites. And speaking of joining us, right here in studio this morning, we have Darren Havens with Watts Water Technologies. 
Hi, Darren. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming and, you know, sharing. That's the whole point today is sharing information. So we've prefaced today by talking about protecting domestic water. And when we get into commercial buildings and, you know, everyone's gone to a doctor's appointment, if they had any idea how many backflow preventers are in that building, not just protecting the city supply from the building, but protecting one room from another, one device from another, I, I, I think they'd be a little amazed. Would you agree? I do agree. Uh, you don't know until you actually can look at plans of a building, right. see how many of these devices are actually located in any given building. Right. So we'll talk first at a 30,000-foot elevation. The idea of a backflow preventer, whatever it is, whether it's an RPZ, whether it's a double check, whether it's a atmospheric vacuum breaker, a spill-proof pressure vacuum breaker. There's all kinds of different forms of backflow prevention. What is it designed at a 30,000-foot elevation to do? It's designed to ensure that we keep the domestic water supply potable for all the users of that supply throughout the municipality regardless of what any individual or organization is doing in their home or business that could potentially contaminate that system. Right, right. And we don't really think deeply enough, in my opinion, sometimes on our ability to contaminate a potable water supply. So, again, starting at that 30,000 elephant, uh, 30,000 elephant elevation you know i should do radio really i should because my tongue gets over my eye tooth quite all the time and i mix up words but i learned annette stall joins us here on the program occasionally and she is so good at making up a word and making it sound convincing and you know i just i just have to laugh let's take an analogy you go outside turn on a yard hydrant that might be out back watering horses in a pasture. And we have a garden hose hooked on to that hydrant out in the pasture. We run that hose into the horse's watering tank that's 10 foot away from the hydrant, and we turn the water on. We have flow coming from the hydrant into that watering tank. So chances of anything coming back into the domestic side are slim to none because we have pressure going into that unit until such time as the water supply gets shut down. Maybe there's a break in the line. And when there's a break upstream on the, on the, the water main, it can create a siphon. So technically, in technical terms, we could, if that were to happen, suck some of the water that is in that horse tank back into and all the way into that house or the neighbor's house. That's accurate. Piping system. That is accurate. And then when we turn water back on, you could turn on a kitchen sink next door and get some of the water that was in that horse's watering trough come out of that kitchen 
faucet. Does that is that far fetched at all? No, that's exactly what these devices are built to prevent. Right, exactly. So that scenario, it sounds a little concerning because now I'm sitting here thinking, well, gee, that means that I could get water intended for a horse out of my neighbor's kitchen faucet. Well, is that really that big a deal if the water was in good shape and wasn't green and full of algae? Where this becomes a concern, let's change our first scenario. Instead of putting that garden hose in a horse watering tank, we've put that garden hose in a container that we're going to mix weed killer. So now we've introduced a poison that we're mixing with this water and the water main broke and the water shut down and we suck some of that poison back into the system. The exact same thing could happen that that could come out a neighboring faucet. Correct. And that's where this whole concept of backflow prevention really becomes important. I mentioned early on, if you have an irrigation system, Domestic water is what's feeding that irrigation system. Well, what's also feeding what the irrigation system is irrigating? Fertilizers. We're fertilizing our yard. These spray heads are down in the grass. Literally, there could be water travel backwards. There's a billion scenarios. The boiler is connected to non-potable water that is circulating throughout the home whenever it is heating the home. So now we have this closed loop and we could literally suck that water back into our domestic. We're going to get into more of the detail on how we prevent that back. But bottom line, it's a stopgate. Correct. How is it stopping it? We're going to get into a lot of detail. It's really going to depend on the device. But let's just go over a quick list of devices. The, the, the absolute best form of backflow prevention is an air gap. There's no doubt. Correct. The problem is that's the easiest to get around. What are some other types real quick that we're going to get into in detail? Well, you mentioned most of them already, Charlie. We've got double check. We've got a reduced pressure zone assembly. We've got uh, PRVs or spill-proof pressure vacuum Pressure break. vacuum break. There's all TV. kinds. Yeah, there's Stop. so Thank many. It's hard to remember the names of them all. And some of them have fail-safes, like the RPZ. It has a drain. Some of them don't have a fail-safe. On some of them that don't have, they're testable. Some aren't testable. So there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. And we are going to do that straight in front of you, whatever you do. Don't touch that dial. You never know where it's been. Stay tuned. Your home discovery continues straight ahead. Your home discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. We are back on this edition of Your Home Discovery. I am Charlie Campbell discovering even more new aspects around your home. We talk about simple things quite often. Everything from guttering to the front doorknob. Today we are talking backflow prevention and we are joined here in studio by darren havens with watts water technology darren thank you for spending time to join join us here i appreciate it appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience so before we get too deep into the different types of backflow prevention let's talk a little bit about watts water technologies tell me a little about watts 
Watts is a Fortune 500 company based out of the Boston, Massachusetts area, and they touch almost everything that has to do with moving water in and out of buildings. Okay. They like to say that once the water hits the building, we can move it all the way through that building until it leaves the building. There you go. And when it leaves, it usually leaves dirtier than it came in. Accurate. One use or another. So we talked about keeping our potable water safe. We started talking through the list of the different types of backflow prevention, and obviously the best one is non-mechanical. The best one is an air gap. In other words, a a space where the system would then suck air rather than sucking water in the event that the flow, the normal flow through the pipe, goes the opposite direction. The downfall to the air gaps is the easiest to work around. All you have to do is stick that drain hose down inside the drain and the air gap is over. Disappears. Absolutely. It's it's as simple as thinking of filling up a pool with a hose Mm -hmm. and making sure that the end of the hose is above the water line. Right. But if you're not paying attention, we all know that that hose can drop below that water line and your air gap is eliminated. That is absolutely right. So the concerning thing that I see when it comes to the air gap, and I know this isn't part of the Watts product line, The concerning thing for me is that the code specifically says that the distance of an air gap needs to be twice the size of the pipe delivering the liquid, one inch minimum. And everybody gets stuck in their head, one inch minimum. So what's my air gap need to be? Oh, one inch minimum. Or that even gets shortened. It needs to be one inch. Well, then you have a three inch main that you are sending into a drain you air gap that three inch main one inch from the drain that it's going into, it's truly not air gapped no. at that point. It no. needed to be three inches. Correct. And and that's part of that problem. But again, the not every scenario can be air gapped anyway. And that's where we get into some of the different devices. Let's talk first about the most common device used on and again, the, the type of device is chosen based upon the degree of hazard. Correct. And how do we look at degrees of hazard? What are some hazards? Um, the easiest way for me to explain that is something that will maybe make you not feel well if you ingest it or something that will kill you. Low health right. versus high health hazard. Right. Absolutely right. And so based upon that, backflow specialists understand the degree of hazard we're facing and which device that we need. So if you've ever gone into a convenience store and you pulled out one of those styrofoam cups and you've gone up to that fancy machine and pushed the lever and ice came out and then you moved it over and you picked a beverage of choice and pushed on that lever, you're getting domestic water, syrup, and CO2 all mixed together right there at the head of that soda fountain. Well, If we have domestic water coming to that soda fountain, we have to protect the water supply and that should be, that's considered a high hazard. And so that should be what you've called an RPZ. Correct. Break down what an RPZ stands for, what that means and why it's called that. It's called a reduced pressure zone assembly. And it's called that because the way it is designed is we run the water, the domestic supply, through three different spring-loaded 
checks, for lack of a better term. Okay. All that have different spring ratings so that in a chamber after the first check, there is a relief valve. And you have to create enough pressure in that chamber to close that relief valve. So the water will continue to throw, flow through that chamber, through the second check, and to the system. And if that pressures can't be met, i.e. you have something in the check, you have a defective check, or you've got a back siphonage, back pressure situation, right. that relief valve can't close, and that valve will discharge water, alerting you to the fact that there is an issue with your system. Sure. Not only that, it's getting rid of any potential waste straight to the drain because it is what they call in the industry, it's dumping. It is dumping. So in other words, the downstream side, the pressure has exceeded the incoming side. Correct. For one reason or another. And that can happen, especially on soda fountains when you're introducing CO2 and we're mixing syrup. Yep. That can be pretty involved. It can. So... We have to think about ways of protecting that water, and that's where these RPZs come in. Another place you find RPZs is, quite honestly, on a lot of the examples we talked about, a a residential boiler. Absolutely. We are feeding domestic water to that boiler, and is it running water into the boiler all the time? No. No. For the most part, the boiler's level stays full, and it only fills as it's needed. Maybe there's a slight leak somewhere. Just over time, we've lost a little water. We created a leak and it needs to refill, but it is a live all the time connection. Um, Another place where RPZs are found quite often is on, uh, depending upon the jurisdiction where you live, the code municipalities can require this RPZ on irrigation systems And something as simple as a water-powered backup sump pump. Yes. Because we are tied to non-potable water, and we're extracting what's in the sump pump with domestic water. So how do we test, and what are we looking for, an RPZ, and then how often do they have to be tested? So we recommend that they are tested annually. Okay. But you referenced it earlier. You always have to talk about your local jurisdiction having authority on what those requirements are. Right. And it involves um, a backflow tester will be certified to test that. They will have to go through significant training and be able to test the different zones on different outlets of those valves in order to make sure that those pressures are accurate and correct. Right. And basically what they're doing in the test is replicating a backflow occurrence to find out at what point does the check stop, what at what point does it dump. Correct. And that is, quite honestly, more necessary on a double check than it would be on an RPZ because an RPZ will give you a visual indicator if you have sure. an issue. Absolutely. And with the double check, testing that is the only way you know. Yes. Because there is no other way to know that we are sucking water. Now, um, let's spend a little bit of time, break down a double check, what that means. It means it is a device with two different spring-loaded checks. Okay. In order for the water to get through it, the water has to overcome the pressure of both of those checks in order to run downstream to the point of use. Sure. So as we reduce our hazard, we get away from fuel or fertilizer or things that could literally kill someone 
as we reduce our hazard and we get to something that's maybe more unpleasant but not lethal. A bakery. A bakery. That's when we back into things like double, double check, check valves. Correct. Now, RPZs and double checks, I'm assuming a breadth of sizes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, half inch all the way up to, I believe, 12 is the largest one that we have in stock. In That's a small unit right there. <laughs> you know, you could probably put one of those up in place just barehanded, right, couldn't and, you? And, and they're not expensive either. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Very inexpensive. So let's let's talk through just briefly the test. When you test one, if it passes, there's paperwork filled out, processed through the municipality, everybody goes on about their day, and no one really thinks about it again until the next time. Correct. When they fail, what are the next steps that need to happen at that point? Well, again, it'll depend on the municipality. Right. But a lot of times they will lock that valve out depending on if you're in a giant corporation. Sure. um, And you have potential to put high hazardous materials back into the potable water supply. They'll lock it out and they'll shut you down until it's fixed. Right. If it's a low health hazard, they will tell you to get it fixed and sure. you have a certain amount of time to get that right. valve. And again, it's not every day that we actually have that back. So it's just the stop gate. It's like, it's like keeping the gate shut at the complete opposite end of the pasture. If you have my luck, that's where the animals go. They'll shoot right out that gate because you know what, if you have this big old area where there's, where there is for them to run the one empty spot, the one open spot, that's where they find their way out and that's kind of how backflow prevention happens it's all based upon that what if water's a path of least resistance opportunist right it wants to go to the weakest spot in the system and it's going to find it every time yep you are absolutely right so we talked about rpz's we talked about double checks a little bit we're going to get into more straight ahead stay with us here on your home discovery More helpful ways to build and improve your home sweet home are straight ahead. Stay tuned. Your home discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Thanks for staying with us on this edition of Your Home Discovery. I am Charlie Campbell, joined in studio by Darren Havens with Watts Water Technologies. We are talking about the movement of water, protecting the domestic water supply. We've talked briefly about the reduced pressure zone principal device. We've also talked a little bit about double checks. Darren, let's switch to probably one of the more common backflow preventers used on lawn irrigation systems, and that would be the pressure vacuum breaker or to those in the industry, the PVB. Talk a little bit about that, how it works. It's a similar... uh, device to the other two that we've spoken about earlier it's just a little bit different in alignment and the way they work it is what it says it is it has pressure and there's a vacuum and it breaks that vacuum if a backflow situation occurs so that water cannot flow back into the domestic system so it's mechanically trying to recreate the air gap correct that we talked about early on correct and if we think about our yard hydrant where we go out and 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 it's attached to the side of the building and we've got a hose screwed on to it on the very top if this is a code legal in most jurisdictions (laughs) hydrant there's a vacuum breaker there 
Talk a little bit about that vacuum breaker and how that differs from a pressure vacuum breaker. Although they're very similar. Yeah, they're, they're similar devices. Obviously, the one on your, your hydrant is significantly smaller in yes. size yes. than any other, other ones you're going to see. Uh, the principles about it inside the device are the same, um, and it will allow that water in order to break the vacuum when you see that occurring. Right. When you have your hose on but you shut your nozzle off, mm-hmm. you'll see that water leak out the top of that mm-hmm. as opposed to going back into the domestic system. Right, absolutely. The other downfall to the style that's on a wall hydrant is they're non-testable. Correct. I mean, you can try. You could introduce some pressure, but who's going who's gonna to hire someone to come out and introduce pressure on the right. upstreams? You know, and that's another, that, that's another great tip. Here on Your Home Discovery, we talk about all kinds of different aspects of our homes. I think one piece that we don't ever spend enough time on, and I know multiple times during the colder months throughout the country, we have to talk about unhooking that garden hose. Correct. But the one aspect we don't ever seem to talk about is hose management or maintenance. We go outside during warmer months. We turn the garden hose on. Our vacuum breaker on the hydrant is doing its job of attempting to protect the potable supply by breaking the pressure, just like the pressure vacuum breaker does. We're breaking that back siphonage by introducing air, and that, that eliminates the, the siphon. What we often don't think about, especially... If that vacuum breaker on the hydrant has failed and there are no test ports on it, if it's multiple years old, especially getting a lot of sun, a lot of heat, a lot of chloramine in the water supply, that that thing very easily fails. And that's the downfall to these vacuum breakers that are on these hydrants. So now we have 50 foot of black garden hose and we have it full with a spray head on the end And we just wash the car and we get all done and we shut the water. We let go of the spray head. We go over and shut the hydrant off and then we coil up the hose. One thing we don't always think about is what's going to happen a day, two days, three days later with that hose laying there full of water. And even if you hit the spray head and got rid of the pressure, there's still water in 70% of that hose. If you don't believe it, unhook your garden hose and take both ends, put one higher and run through the entire hose and measure how many gallons of water you get out of that hose, right? I think people would be surprised. Absolutely. There is a lot of water in that hose. So why is that important? We're not, let's say that we're in a, in, in a climate that never freezes or we're in a climate and we're not in freezing conditions and I'm going to use it next week, so what's the big deal? The big deal is anytime you heat water, what does it do? It expands. It expands. And if water expands in that hose, what have we done? We've created issues for the longevity of the garden hose all by itself because now we have, it's not just, you know, nice, cool, potable water. It's hot yeah. and it's expanding and The way we coil up our hoses, what happens to them as they've lost pressure and they roll up, they kink. Yep. 
So now we have areas where we're creating the smallest amount of thermal expansion inside a hose, and we're stretching that thing out. Garden hoses used to be so inexpensive, this didn't matter. They are not anymore. (laughs) They're not. They're pricey. They are pricey. So if you've invested in a garden hose in the last few years, you know exactly what we're talking about. Let's protect that. Unhook both ends of that garden hose, even if it's in a non-freezing condition. Obviously, we want to unhook that during the freezing months because we don't want that piping to freeze and cause a leak when we turn the hydrant back on in the spring. But let's protect that garden hose and unhook it at any point so that we have a way of of relieving. It's a solid suggestion. Exactly. So back to the irrigation system. The pressure vacuum breaker, there's a testing procedure. Correct. We've just got check valves in a different order. Correct. Talk a little bit about how that works and the difference uh, between that one and a spill-proof pressure vacuum breaker. So let's address the second part of that first. The spill-proof, you will see those a lot of times in your uh, grocery store produce section. And it's a situation where they want to make sure that they are breaking the vacuum, creating that air gap so you don't get the back siphonage, but they don't want the water to spill behind the storage area where that hose bib comes out. Right. That water, if it were to spill out of that vacuum breaker, it could create mold, et cetera, et cetera. That's just an exacerbating another issue. So you create it so it does not have that uh, discharge. Right. And then we test those very similarly to the way you would test the double checks slash RPZs. Sure. Uh, you've got a couple of test cocks on there. You adjust, you put a pressure gauge on them. A trained professional would do that for you and, of course, give you a pass-fail grade. Sure, absolutely. And so when we talk about putting a gauge on it, the what is it, a TK9A, I think, mm-hmm. is the number for that gauge that we talk about. Those gauges are around $1,000. They are expensive. So when you ask, why does it cost... 40, 50, 80, $120 to have your backflow tested, there's a significant investment that a professional has made in that testing equipment alone. And to add to it, he has to have that, he or she has to have that calibrated. Absolutely. That's a piece I think a lot miss is it has to be calibrated. And that's all well and good, having it calibrated, having the right test equipment, but that professional had to do something else that's certainly not free. No, they had to take a 40-hour class in order to get certified to operate that piece of equipment and not just take the class. You have to pass both a written and a practical test yes. on that device. Absolutely. It's a fairly long, I've had this exam myself, mm-hmm. it's a fairly long written exam. And then you have to take that that gauge that we just so easily call it a gauge. <laughs> you have to take that and you have to go actually show a, a test on all those devices I mentioned. It's not just on one. That's right. And there's several different manufacturers out there that you need to test on as well. Right. And a good instructor will set some up in a, for their failing. And you have to be able to say this valve is not performing up to standards. Right. This one is. Right. Here's what I'd recommend. It is, it is not an easy it's not an easy class or test. Exactly. And you have to prove what you did to fix it 
and why what you did was needed. Because sometimes, I mean, I've heard guys say that they can just flip a disc on a on a on an RPZ. I can just take the disc out and flip it around, and and then it passes. You know, using an old part is probably not the right answer. They check for those things when you go through that that course, and. Even once you're certified, this isn't like getting a certification that just exists forever. You have to be recertified. How often is that, and how does that process work? Well, I think it depends on your municipality once again. Right. But I believe it is every other year. Okay. Is that you need a recertification, and that is, as opposed to a 40-hour class, I believe that is a 12-hour class. Right, right. It's a, it's a shorter refresher, but definitely necessary, because without that... Who knows what we end up with. So we've talked about RPZs, double checks, pressure vacuum breakers, spill-proof pressure vacuum breakers. One thing we didn't, and I want to talk about that here shortly, is what these are made of. And you know, I've, I've heard of some people painting them so that they don't look like they are what they are. And we're going to talk about that and why we would do that next stay with us here on your home discovery stay tuned your home discovery continues straight ahead your home discovery now continues here's your host charlie campbell thanks for staying with us here on this edition of your home discovery i am charlie campbell charlie at yourhomediscovery.com. the email is open 24 7 365 i cannot promise a response in 30 or 45 seconds but your emails do get responded to if you have sent one in the last 30 minutes or so yeah maybe not so much um we also invite you to join our social media channels all of them facebook linkedin i mean we're all all of those different social channels we would love to have you there and if there was a portion of today's program that you found incredibly interesting and you want to invite family over, pop popcorn, and go over our topics today, you can go to the website, yourhomediscovery.com. Click on Listen Now, and guess what you can do? You can listen to the entire program all over again. Because Darren with Watts Water Technologies has such great things to share. Isn't that right, Darren? Oh, all day, every day. All day, every day. Basically, we're talking about protecting the backflow of water from contaminating the potable water supply. This is crucial if we're real honest about it. I know we're kidding around, but the the story I used in the beginning about the farmer and the, the garden hose and the fertilizer, I don't want to be misconstrued as it's only farmers that put hoses in fertilizer. They actually, the farmers are actually safer with this kind of stuff than what I may have lended my conversation earlier to sound like these types of things can harm our water supply and they can come from such a multitude of sources it can even be unattended unintended see i really need to learn to enunciate (laughs) i mean you think about you take and drain the antifreeze out of a car i've seen pans literally of antifreeze sitting in a yard now first off that's dangerous because if an animal comes along and decides to drink that that's lethal i mean a human cannot ingest an animal cannot ingest antifreeze immediate kidney failure exactly 
So then you take another person in the home is out watering plants, the phone rings, the child falls, you know, certain situations happen that were an unintended diversion, if you will. We throw the garden hose down to go take care of the child because quite honestly, the child's a whole lot more important than watering the flowers. Where does the tip of that garden hose go? The last thing we're looking at is the fact that it landed in that pan of antifreeze. Right. There's a, a bunch of different scenarios just like that that could yield into having something in the domestic supply that shouldn't be. We, we went through RPZs and we talked a little bit about uh, double checks and they're typically buried underground. But things above ground, like pressure vacuum breakers that are very common on a home irrigation system, there are rules manufacturers put in place about painting their product. I have a lot of people ask about painting them so that they don't look brass because we all know what recyclability, (laughs) when they get stolen, what can happen there. What are some rules on painting? So what my suggestion would be is to find your device manufacturer and model number, get on their website, and check out the specification sheet for that device in order to find out all of the best practices for it. Some you can paint. Some we're going to suggest you don't paint because maybe that paint gets into some of those parts we need to move and, right. and gums them up, and then you've, you've just created a problem. Right. And for testing... Having paint on the test ports can become a problem. The overall body on most of them, that's usually the sizable portion of the device. And if it doesn't look expensive, it may stand a less likelihood of being taken. Yes. Some other things that that come up as I as I think through this is some of the training that is available we start thinking about the fact that this program's an hour long. You made a comment to me. In order to get certified in teaching or certified in doing backflow prevention testing, it's a 40-hour course. That's correct. And a research is at least two full days, and we're trying to cover it all in 60 minutes. Yes. So let's look for an easy-to-go-to resource I realize there are a lot of different manufacturers of backflow devices. Watts being one of the largest, I appreciate you being involved in this program. Tell me a little about where I could go online if I, let's say I'm either, I'm either a homeowner just wanting to know more, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm a technician that isn't backflow certified, or maybe I'm one that is that still has questions. <laughs> where can I go for some training? So, First place you can go for reference material is watts.com, which is our main website. And it's got a search bar in there, and you can search by device. If you're looking for more than just cursory information about devices, backflows, RPZs, etc., there is a website that we've developed called training.watts.com. Whoa, now this might be pretty crucial. If I'm a technician somewhere and I am performing a service for a client, whether it's backflow testing or not, I have a feeling I could learn something pretty significant about this by going, you said that is training.watts.com. That's correct. And it's free to sign up for anybody. 
and they are five to ten minute little vignettes that you can go and you can learn very specific things about these devices and they are broken down by what you are going to learn. Mm. So if you know you're having a certain problem with a certain device, you should be able to go right to that website, find the little tile to click on and it'll take you right there and hopefully somebody will be able to explain to you exactly what the issue you're having. Well, and so much of that is self-policing and the thing that has always concerned me about the internet is everybody has opinions not necessarily a manufacturer of the product that we're discussing. Yes. Oh, don't worry. I can YouTube that answer. I even, I'll be honest, I'm even struggling a little bit with uh, this program getting pushed into the YouTube channel. No disrespect to YouTube at all. Right. But there are so many independent people out there that are, they're just like, well, you know, I'm the sharpest crayon in the box and I'm going to show you today how to do this. Well, you know what? If you sound believable enough, yeah, absolutely. Let's stick that garden hose in some antifreeze and let's try it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so those are the kinds of things that you typically see. Um, I- I'm really intrigued, though. You said training.watts.com. I, curiosity got the best of me, so I just pulled it up. And it looks like it's incredibly simple to get in here. I mean, the first portion, obviously, if you're a Watts employee, but there's a a whole section where you can create a new account and 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 get in there yourself. And even better is if you complete a bunch of these trainings, you will accumulate points or tokens as the website refers to them, and you can get some nice free Watts branded stuff. And it is not trinkets and trash. It is really nice items that they are giving away for just doing training sessions. Yeah, I think there was an intern <clears throat> with your company that rattled something off about Carhartt or something. I don't understand how this this kid knew everything about the free items and very little about the products, but I guess we've all got to start somewhere. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So in our final couple minutes, what are some, some, some final thoughts that you'd like to share? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is Charlie, you, you've explained the water hose in the antifreeze bucket. I have books with real world stories of these items getting into the water system and causing death and causing mass sickness because the devices were either A, not in place, or B, faulty. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking hyperbole here. We are speaking about things that have happened in the real world that have caused people physical harm. So it is important. And, And the other thing I'll say about that is it's kind of about us being a good citizen. Sure we need to do our little part on our little home, our little business, our big business to protect the rest of the people that are in our community from anything bad, intentional or unintentional that may happen in that type of a situation where we can cause harm to the community. I don't want that on my shoulders. No, absolutely not. And while it's not intentional, it doesn't make it something that can protect you from lawsuits. I mean, lawsuits can happen left and right. No, we live in a litigious society and you need to protect yourself financially as well. Right. Absolutely. So if you have questions about learning more about the Watts product and backflow prevention, that website again was training.watts.com. Got it. If you have questions about backflow, we have not answered today or any other questions. Charlie at your home discovery 
www.thehomedecorcom.com. I look forward to your email. Thanks for enjoying another edition of Your Home Discovery with Charlie Campbell, a presentation of CQH Ranch, LLC, keeping everything around your home sweet home looking great. Broadcast nationally on AM and FM radio stations, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and more, plus easily found on most social media channels. Tune in again soon for more tips and ideas to keep your home sweet home looking great. Podcast available 24-7, yourhomediscovery.com.